Welcome everyone to this week's Trippin' with Silver Daddy. Well, I am in Rising Sun, Indiana. Now, you probably say, where in the hell is Rising Sun, Indiana? Well, Google it. I'm on the Ohio River, and this little tiny town on the Ohio River is famous for the Grand Victoria Hotel and Casino. The hotel is ran by Hyatt, so you know what type of hotel chain you're talking about. And the casino itself is now owned by Caesars Entertainment. Pretty much a lot of people have heard of Caesars Casinos in Vegas. So this is a very upscale, beautiful place. And it's out in the country. Now, this casino's been here since, I think it opened in 1996, if I remember from doing some research on it and it's been around and it has changed hands i mean originally it was owned by gold strike and then it sold to circus circus which then became something else and that sold to mgm and then that sold i think to caesar so it has changed hands many times but it has a wonderful golf course here and the casino, plus it has restaurants. It's beautiful inside. It, this, is, this is a riverboat casino. So technically, there is a boat on the river, and that's where the casino's at. It has a great restaurant, Wellington. Wellington Restaurant and Steakhouse. But when it first opened back in the 90s, late 90s, when I lived in this area... I used to come here, we would come here all the time just for the buffet. One of the best seafood buffets you could find. And the food has, was always incredible. That's why we always kept coming here. I never won money, but I always still came. But this is a really cool place. And it brings back some of those old memories when I lived up in the area of the Midwest. We used to come here maybe once or twice a year. You know, it was a nice little drive out into the country. But there's a few other things in this small town. It's just nice, these real small little towns. Usually most of them, they don't have restaurants except for if you come to the casino. If they do, it's the little bar restaurant, you know, the tavern that sells food. And those are some of my favorites. I used to own one of those type of places. Maybe that's why it's one of my favorites. But many of these casinos, they do a lot for the community, especially they donate money into the community. This casino donates over $8 million a year into the local community. And it's done a lot of things like they used to have license plate taxes where you had to pay like $25 to get your license plates. Money they raise got rid of that tax and there's also some senior citizens got some rebates on taxes so it does do things to help the local community but like I said it is an incredible place and it's beautiful inside I feel like you're on a little river town I took a lot of photographs so you can see those on Instagram but this is where I'm at right now is in Rising Sun Indiana don't know what I'm all going to do here. It's kind of warm. We like that. You know, used to that heat from Florida. But it has been raining. But it's been cooler than normal for this time of year up here in the Midwest. 
It's only been in the 70s, and it's not humid. There's a breeze. But this time, you know, there has been some fires up north, and they are getting smoke in this area. So I just walked outside, going to get in my car. Don't have a clue where I'm going. Car leads me. Wherever the car takes me, I shall go. Yeah, I kind of drive it, but still don't have a clue what I'm doing. And because of that, why don't I take a short break and I'll be right back. Hey, don't forget, go to my internet, trippingwithsilverdaddy.com. You'll see all my social links there. And please consider doing a donation to the podcast. Podcasts cost a lot of money. And we could use any help we can get. I'll be right back. You're listening to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. When Silver Daddy needs to go shopping, you know where you'll find me. I'll be at Leatherworks. Let me tell you, the reason I love this place is because it is the premier fetish and leather shop in the Southeast. Not just in my area, but in the entire Southeast. And... You know, they are inclusive of all sexuality, genders, and body types. So even me, Daddy Bear, I can find things at Leatherworks. Their quality of their leather products is incredible. You know, they make a lot of the stuff in shop, but they only use the finest and the highest quality of leather. You can join the Lifestyle Club program. You know, it offers discounts on in-store products and classes. Yes, classes. They offer classes, and they have quarterly parties for the community. Hey, if you need to get something, you can go to leatherworks.com, and the works is W-E-R-K-S. Go there, and you can buy online. Hey everyone, welcome back to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. I am at the Red Wolf Sanctuary and Raptor Rehabilitation Center. That word. Yes, that's where we're at. And I'm with Paul. Hi, Paul. Hello, how are you? I'm great. So, you guys have a really unique thing here outside of Sunman. Sunman, outside of Rising Sun. I'm sorry, I'm Rising Sun, Indiana. Mm hmm. Red wolves, are they native to Indiana? Historically, yes. They were the only wolf to evolve within North America. Okay, so when I, I know a little bit about my animals because of my background and family and all that. There's still red wolves in the Southwest, correct? The Mexican red wolves that go into Arizona and all that? Well, the Mexican wolf is a completely different subspecies. The red wolf is actually a species okay. of wolf. It lived in the eastern, southeastern part of the United States, probably from Texas to uh, Maine, Illinois, that area. So this was part of their territory, the Ohio River Valley. There were three subspecies, one in Florida, one in Texas, and one eastern part of the United States. And only one, that one is still alive, uh, still existing. Which one's still existing then? Canis Rufus Gregoria. Okay, I okay, okay. I was I shouldn't have asked. Bob, his name's Bob. No, Bob, <laughs> Bob. I'm glad Bob is still He's around. He's hanging in there. They've he, got a population, a wild population in North Carolina. 
Okay. At the Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge, and that's the only wild population that I know of and, at this point. In the eastern part of the United in States? In the world. In the world? Yes. Oh, wow. They are the rarest mammal in all of North America. I did not know that. And they lived here. And they probably fed off of passenger pigeons and gray squirrels and small mammals and birds that lived here, right in Indiana. Well, so I lived in Indiana, and I mean, I'm used to the other things we have, like the coyotes and other things. That but in we your see. lifetime, there were no coyotes, there were no turkeys, there were no deer, there were no um, otters. All of these things had been wiped out, right? along with the red wolf. So within our lifespan, those things have been brought back by conservation and habitat protection. So now you could say we have them everywhere. Right, because where my sister lives, and that's where I'm staying, we were just watching the wild turkeys, and she was telling me where they were released in an area you may not know, but was yeah. called um, Bonnell. Bonnell Road, yeah. I've been in there. the very back, and my sister's up on top of the hill over there. Mm-hmm. So we were just watching them the other day, because they're all, now, they're like all over the place. Not all over, but we see them quite frequently what we try to get people to understand when you say i've got things everywhere no you don't right everything has a territory everything will tolerate only so much within the territory there's only so much food and so limiting factors are weather food and space so as i tell people nothing lives on walmart's parking lot unless it's wearing spandex or (laughs) pajama bottoms with flip-flops that's true so and that's all across USA. Yes. So what our goal is, is we have 452 acres, and the vast majority of it is habitat. Now, we're, we give educational programs, and our two, two carts just left with 12 people, um, two of which are veterinarians, um, and their families are in town for something. So our goal is a teaching facility to rehabilitate injured wildlife like that bald eagle that was in the crate. Um, she was rescued. He was pulled out of a creek by my wife, who is a 60-year-old PhD in infectious diseases, and she went down this hill that would have killed me and grabbed this, what did Steve say, 11-pound bird? 9.5. 9.5 bald eagle um, and carried it back in her arms in a wet towel. So that's the kind of stuff that we have to do to take care of right. the animals here. Yeah, because I remember even as a kid, bald eagles weren't even in this area. And I remember growing up on the west side of Cincinnati when they first released some. It was way over on the east side of well, Ohio. Up in yeah, in eastern Ohio by the lakes. Yeah, yeah, over to almost towards Athens, I think, in right. that area near the Great Lakes areas. Was it up there with the first ones? Well, they I think they did release some there, but some of them also came. But once you stop poisoning the environment with DDT, right. They were able to reproduce. We have a nest across our property here. Again, if we do not destroy what is left, your children, your new grandchild. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden your perceptions change. Oh, trust me, let me. That is so what true. What are you going to have for your grandchild left? Right. If we don't, so that's what we do. It's a teaching facility. We've got an eighth grader here who's working with adults, learning how to work with wildlife. And that's important. And and that's the one thing I find out that I kind of have discovered just doing the show and all this. The new generation is much different than my generation was. It seems like the newer generation really is into 
the ecology and wanting to do things. A little bit more than some of my generation because it was more, what can I do for myself to get ahead? When did you grow up? I grew up, I was in high school in the, I graduated from high school early 80s and graduated in college in the mid 80s. So that period was a transition of kids seemed to be more me, me, me. Yes. The generations before um, is where the environmental started. And then when we started working here 45 years, we have kids from Miami University, University that you fluctuate in their perceptions of what's important. So you had naturalists, wildlife biologists, people who went on to school. Then you get a corporate, the corporate idea, well, I should be business, I should do this, this. Right. And now I'm not really sure where we are. Um, it's amazing some of the younger people that I've been meeting, what they're getting into. Um, I mean, I just look also at my daughter. You know, she's finishing her PhD at Purdue, and she's in ecology, mm-hmm. biology. She's into trees. She's into unemployment, poverty. <laughs> Don't tell her that. <laughs> but no, but she's like, this is what she's always been about is. You know, she was always involved in the 4-H stuff and but the animals. But did you encourage it? Did I? Yes. Yes. And so did my grandma. So did my mom. That's where the difference is. Now you have people whose parents are only concerned about themselves or their money or whatever. And smart people raise kids in total isolation of what they should be exposed to because parents are out busy making money or court right. or whatever. So as a teacher, I see that all the time. Yeah, and... It was something that I felt was very important for her growing up to see all sides of everything. I just always felt that having a well-cultured child was important. So everything from taking her to theater, to musicals, to see the arts, to working in food kitchens, and then working out and being involved, and then with her family, you know... Her mom's side, very big in FHA and all that kind of stuff and raising livestock. So she was involved in a lot of things. And hopefully her child will be the same. Will be exposed to the same passion. And I think he will, trust me, because my daughter is very passionate about a lot of these issues. But let's talk a little bit about the Red Wolves here. So... It's a sanctuary. Are we talking about potentially, are they being looked at being re-released into the areas? Um, or now, what's going on with that? I started this project in 1976. I had three populations of animals that came out of the wild that were red wolves. But as time went on and the federal government got involved and then the AZA got involved, the logistics of that, oh, after my animals died, I'm just a guy who's building a wildlife sanctuary i don't get paid to do this right so we have no money and so we don't have the power that it would take to get in the most endangered species now but we had them before they got you know super over list or you know before they were listed on that yeah. high, highly endangered so what my goal is is to provide a facility that not only um it has all the different canines so we have probably 30 foxes that have come out of people's houses. We've, a lot of these were pets. We've had bears. We've had mountain lions. We've had bobcats. We had bobcats. Uh, eagles, hawks, owls. All of these animals that are either injured or a lot of the mammals came out of people's homes. 
black bear that we have came out of an apartment. Wow, out of 30, an apartment? Yes. Okay, so hold that thought. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a real quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this because I definitely want to hear how about this black bear in an apartment. So we'll be right back. You are listening to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. Open your calendar, everyone, because I need you to mark these dates off. It's important. October 26th to November 1st, because it is Cannonball 2023 in Fort Lauderdale in the Wilton Manors area. You know, Fort Lauderdale with the beautiful beaches, great weather. But this is one of the biggest bear chub and chaser events in South Florida. There's so much we're going to do. I mean, you have the food. You have the Shamara dinner. We have the brunch with the queens. We have the barbecue. But then you have all these great events we're going to go to. The Sahara Gold Party. Hey, we're even going to ride a jungle queen. I hope she doesn't hurt me. And we're going to go airboating. Hey, you need to go to cannonballbash.com and register and get your passes now. So we're back now. You just talked about a black bear you guys have or had that came out, out of an apartment. We've had five black bears over time. We've had four most recently. One was chained to a tree at an apple orchard. One was... Um, and a cage in somebody's backyard. This one came out of an apartment, and one was, oh, the one was chained to a tree at a dope dealer's house. So, yeah. Wow. So you take in a lot of different types of animals. North American. North American. Right. I want the people to know that what was what is in this country, rather than worrying about exotics. We're not a zoo. Right. It's a teaching facility, and hopefully artists and photographers People like that can take advantage of the natural settings, but yes. So let's talk a little bit about uh, more about the red wolves. How many red wolves do you actually have here? Yeah. Any now? Ours have all died. They've so they're all they've all passed on. Yes. What type of canine are you currently working with? Okay, we have thirty red foxes okay. of various color phases. There are forty-nine different coat variations of red foxes bred for fur coats. These were bought by people because they're incredibly cute they want them as a pet and then if you caught a whiff of what it was like walking in here it smells like skunks right so it's like having a teenage boy walking in his room um then we also have coyotes that all came out of the carolinas and places like that we also have um koi dogs koi dogs part dog part coyote so as the population and what i tell the basic story historically here this was a chestnut forest. They say a squirrel could have traveled the entire eastern seacoast and never touched the ground by jumping from 90-foot tall chestnut tree to chestnut tree. In here lived elk, bison, caribou, black bear, probably some bobcats. The white-tailed deer were down in the river bottoms, so there were not a lot of mountain lions, per se. Um, And the most abundant animal ever known to exist lived right here, the passenger pigeon. So I believe the red wolf evolved coming from South America into a medium-sized canine whose primary food probably would have been passenger pigeons, small mammals. Okay. So they evolved to do that right here. Right. Then man comes in, cuts down the forest, kills off the passenger pigeon, kills off everything, kills off the red wolves, 
and opened an expressway from one end to the other. What's an expressway? It's a concrete pad between two prairie systems. Prairie wolves or coyotes followed the highway, came into these areas, but they're usually teenage males that run away from home first. They can't find another coyote because there aren't any, so they breed dogs. Those offspring are called koi dogs. Okay. Part dog, part coyote. Now, the difference between a dog and a wolf is that a dog never grows up past a sixth grader. You don't want that Irish wolfhound out there to cop an attitude like a 14-year-old. No. Wolves have to start off as puppies. They get away with everything. Then they have juveniles. They have rules to follow. They step out of line. They get the fanny chewed. Then they become an obnoxious irritant called a teenager where they push, push, push. And if they get away with it, they do more. Or if mama kicks her butt, they run away from home. Those are the ones that disperse into new territory. Those are the ones that are finding dogs that are loose. And they can breed. And the offspring are fertile. So those koi dogs can breed a dog, coyote, koi dog, a wolf, a wolf hybrid, all of those things. So, and I point out to people, in a hundred years, you're probably not going to know what a race is because of the migrations of different populations. So it's all getting blended. Right. Same thing with cattle, dogs, bluegill. <coughs> yeah, like our bluegills in the, in the ponds and all that. Yes. Well, in the stream, because they, they're genetically close, we've manipulated the ecosystem so that you've brought in green sunfish, and so they hybridize. So... <coughs> Thank yeah, you, sir. Yeah, we, and and that's like even now, like when we had our pond on the farm, we would get, um, we got a zapper, everyone. When we had, need to die. When we, the pond, like we would buy certain type of hybrids of bass and that. I think they were not the stripe, but there was a white, white bass, bass, white hi- bass that yes. was a hybrid, mm-hmm. but they would grow fast, mm-hmm. get big for eating, but they didn't really reproduce well. That's the difference between. This situation is where you had one end. Hybridization led to a sterile offspring. but This not, is just the opposite. This is the now opposite. Now it's a hybrid that, that can breed with any of the things, and the, and the genes will all correct. be accepted, and they can... Well, they will select for traits, right? Right. Whatever is best for you to catch an elk will survive. Dumb don't live. Right. And I say, people, I don't know if I can say this. You can say it, trust me, the podcast. Um, we say everything. We are the only species that allows inferior offspring to survive. <laughs> they grow up, they reproduce, they run for office. Right? Trust me, I'm in Florida. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. I, let me let me tell you, I live in Florida. I actually went to school at Miami, Florida. Oh really? Gonna, yeah, I was gonna be a marine biologist. Oh yeah. That's a beautiful that's a beautiful campus. And what they do now in medicine is unreal down there. So, but that's getting off the point. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about something you mentioned, and I understand this. You guys are really helping and doing a lot of things, but you're doing it on your own. And I would imagine this gets pretty expensive. If someone (coughs) wanted to reach out and help, either financially, whatever, if they live in the area and they want to volunteer... How do they? How can they help? Well, we have a red, uh, Facebook page, Red Wolf Sanctuary. We have a web page, redwolf.org. And there's a girl that does Instagram stuff. Yeah. I'm old. I just... The Instagram, yeah. I just, does some of the social media. Yeah. So 
But the big thing is, A, I don't get paid, never have. My wife works is at the University of Cincinnati, um, and she donates most of her money to this place. Um, and it's expensive. Bears don't write checks. Even in a bear market, they don't. Well, I tell everyone that. It's even like trying to get these messages out to people. People think, oh, that's all you're doing is recording a show and putting it on. They don't realize the time it takes to get everything ready or just the gas to get to a place anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, that alone, paying for gas to take the animals to the vets. Which we did today, your brother-in-law. Ex-brother-in-law. Ex <laughs> <coughs> yeah. So, yeah. So taking them to the places, that all costs money. So what you need to do, everyone, you need to look for the Red Wolf Sanctuary and Rising Sun. There's only one in this area. So do a search on Google. You'll find their website. Go to their website or Facebook page, and you can reach out to them if you're inclined and can help them out anyway. Either volunteer or make a financial donation. Because I know, I mean, a lot of us that work in this type of thing, we hate asking for the money, but the money, the money would help, right? I mean, just seriously. Oh, I've become a master of groveling. Okay. <laughs> please, please. Please, I mean, I can't go anywhere if I don't get this. These animals are, they're their futures all dependent on you. No, I totally understand that. So we just have about a minute left, Paul. Is there anything else that maybe we didn't touch on that you think is important before we leave? Well, again, our goal is to teach. So right. Every The next generation, your kids are the best thing you'll ever do. Your grandson is going to be the best thing that your To be able to teach did. them. And will be as smart as you. I mean, every generation knows more and more and more. We just have to make sure they have an environment in which they can thrive. Because it doesn't matter how rich you are or anything else. You live in Florida? Yes. You're going to be underwater shortly. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I, I'm technically three, I'm three and a half miles from the ocean and three and a half miles from the Everglades. And I'm only three feet above sea level. Right. So, and I sit there and say, oh, if a hurricane comes and they produce 10 foot waves, I'm like, Wait a minute, I'm only three feet above that at 10-foot waves, so I could be seven feet underwater if I'm big enough, you know, but I'm hoping there's enough houses that bounce the water back but <laughs> before it gets to my place. That's what I'm A hoping for. A plywood reef? Yeah. Yeah, so, but we deal with this all the time, and we, we're well aware of that. And we see, you know, every time a storm comes ashore, you know, we're losing piers, we're losing ground. And like we had in Florida in a couple of years ago with the condo that collapsed right on the beach. These things are going to continue to happen. Hey, everyone, I do have to take another break. And I don't know where I'm going to be next because as I've been telling you, wherever my blue car takes me, that's where I go. I may be driving, but I have no clue where I'm at. I'm just here for the trip and listen to our sponsors. I'll be right back. You're listening to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. Catfish Dewey's is my favorite place to eat because they have all you can eat. Hey, they have more than that. They have a regular menu, but I like my food. And on Monday, Tuesday nights, they have all you can eat shrimp. On Wednesday, it's the barbecue baby back ribs. On Thursday and Sunday, it's that Alaska 
snow crab legs. On Friday, it's the fried scallops. And on Saturday, it's the fried oysters and crawfish. Hey, Catfish Dewey's has been around for 40 years because they know how to do it right. Big family environment and has a great little bar inside the place. Let me just tell you, you need to go to Catfish Dewey's. You know, they're conveniently located at 4003 North Andrews Avenue in Oakland Park, which is just north of downtown Fort Lauderdale. See you at Catfish Dewey's. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the interview at the Red Wolf Sanctuary. They do a lot of great work. It's unfortunate that there's no Red Wolves left at that sanctuary. You know, the Red Wolves originally was throughout the southeastern and south central United States from the Atlantic Ocean to central Texas, southeast Oklahoma and southern Illinois in the west and in the north from the Ohio Valley to northern Pennsylvania and southern New York. So they were going all the way from southern Canada all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. But by the 1960s, there was only a very few small number of the Gulf Coast and the western Louisiana and eastern Texas Red Wolves left. So 14 of these survivors were actually captured and became the founders of a captive breeding population. And this was done at the Point Defiant Zoo and Aquarium between 1974 and 1980. After having success in breeding them, they actually relocated them to Bulls Island off of South Carolina in 1978. But this is where the story gets really interesting. They put them on this island. All the other red wolves were declared extinct in the wild in the 1980s. But they started to take some of the captive animals and re-release them into the Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge, which is in North Carolina. And then a few years later, they actually released some more in the Greater Smoky Mountain. Of the 63 wolves that were released from 87 to 94, the population did rise. It went up to about 120 of the wolf, but due to some lack of regulations by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the population declined to 40 individuals in 2018. Then it dropped to 14 in 2019. And then only 8 of them in October of 21. There was no wild litters born in, 19, in 2019 or in 2020. So there was a lot of pressure to capture the wolves and to keep them and reintroduce them again. But they have to first make sure they get enough of the wolves before they can do that. So it's very important for us to look at how we take care of nature and the things that were always here. They were here for a reason. They did keep things under control. Whenever you get rid of a whole population of an animal, it has a trickle-down effect to everything. The wolves really only ate wild pigs, some deer, raccoons, mice, muskrats, rabbits. So hopefully we'll be able to get some of these red wolves back into nature 
and we will take care of them. It's very important to take care of our environment. I had a great time. I learned so much about these wolves, just about everything and all the work and handling that goes into taking care of protecting our environment. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Please make sure you go to my website, trippinwithsilverdaddy.com. Please look at everything on the website. You can see all my social media. And don't forget, if you can, please make a donation to help cover some of the cost of the show. Love, peace, and respect. You've been listening to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. Bye!